we uh, have been through a series in which we're going through the Bible. We're walking through it, Genesis to Revelation. We've talked about the idea that God created a kingdom. He put man in that kingdom. Man rejected God. Man wanted to do it his own way. God set up covenants with, with David and with Abraham. We talked about the idea that God established a Passover. We talked about the idea last week that Jesus culminates at the right time and comes to the cross and finishes the work that God has called him to do. And we talked about that last week. So when we ended last week, we left Jesus on the cross. Um, he had just died. He had given up his life. Um, they did not take it from him. And his last words are, he cries out, it is finished. And then he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And uh, you know the story from there. They take Jesus' body down. Um, Joseph of Arimathea comes along and asks for it. He has a new tomb, and that's very, very important. Um, because what that means is it was a, first of all, to have a tomb, you had to have some money. Um, that was not an easy thing to have. A tomb was a family thing. A uh, tomb in the New Testament time, you would, you would literally, your entire family would be buried in that tomb. Uh, what, what they would do is they would, they would, most of the tombs had a shelf uh, that they would lay a body on. The body would decompose. Then after a certain amount of time that the body had decomposed, they would go in and they would gather up the bones, and often they would throw them underneath the shelf. And so then the next person would die, and they would do the same thing. And so literally, when you read in the Old Testament that I was buried with the bones of my father, that was a literal thing. That was, that was the way they did uh, burial. So you would, you would save up enough money to buy a burial cave, if you would. And so Joseph of Arimathea had done that, but it had never been used, and that becomes important because um, Jesus would have been the first one in the tomb, so if he comes out, it's not like, well, maybe that was so-and-so from the dead. No, 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 no. It was only Jesus because he's the only one that had ever been in that tomb. So uh, you know the story, and then Jesus comes and he appears to a number of people. In fact, a lot of people who struggle with the whole Jesus thing, you know, I don't know if that's like a real thing or a not real thing, uh, you need to understand that, that we have recorded, not just biblically but historically, over 500 witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me put that in perspective. You gave each one of those witnesses 15 minutes to testify to what they saw. There would be 128 hours of testimony regarding a resurrected Jesus. You need to understand that there is more historical evidence regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is that Julius Caesar died at 33. Um, or that or Julius Caesar... Yeah, Julius Caesar, i got to get them both right. Um, Alexander the Great, uh, let me see. Alexander the Great died at 33 or that Julius Caesar ever existed? There's more historical, you know, everybody's like, you know, well, do you believe Julius Caesar lived? You know, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, everybody knows the Eyes of March thing. Mm, you know what? There's more historical record to the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is that Julius Caesar was real and alive. So uh, you need to understand that the resurrection is a historical fact. Um, as well as a biblical story and a biblical fact. Um, so, you know, you have to ask yourself, you know, what are you going to do with the resurrected Jesus? Because he, he did. There's no question about that. So, uh, with that in mind, um, as, we, as we look at the whole uh, story about a resurrected Christ, that's what we want to focus on this morning. What does the resurrection do? How does it play into the, the whole scheme of, of, of the big picture of the Bible? So I want to go to Romans chapter 1. Here's what it says. <clears throat> um, oh yeah, you got to click on that one. Um, doo -doo -doo. I got you, Mitch. There we go. Uh, Romans chapter 1. Regarding his son, talking about Jesus, 
who was to his human nature was a descendant of David. So Romans chapter 1 talks about his humanity. It ties him to David. Remember we said David, one of the covenants with David was you'll have an eternal kingdom? Well, David died. But when we trace the lineage of Jesus, we trace it all the way back. It goes through the lineage of David. And Jesus is the eternal. Jesus is eternal. So therefore, the fulfillment of the covenant, one of the fulfillments of the Davidic covenant was through Jesus when he becomes eternal as God. And so he says, one of the things about Jesus is, he said, he's a human nature, was a descendant of David, who the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the sons of God, the son of God, how? By the resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul, when he writes to Romans, says, look, let me explain this to you guys. The resurrection is crucial to everything that we believe. And you're going to see this over and over again. Paul, when he writes to the Corinthian church, makes a big deal about the resurrection of Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 15. So we want to talk about the resurrection a little bit this morning. We want to try to plug it into, okay, um, I'm not going to go into the, the story. You know the story. If you've been, ever been to church at Easter, you know the resurrection story. Okay? I want to talk about how it, how it changes us and what it means for us today. Um, the first thing I think that you, it helps you understand is how to deal with your past. Um, when you come to the book of Corinthians, uh, one of the things that we learn is that one of the first people that Jesus comes to after the resurrection is, anybody want to guess? You know about the women. This is an odd little passage in Corinthians. The guys on the road to Emmaus. Who else? Somebody really important. Anybody want to guess? Now I wish I had the passage up here. Um, nope. Peter. Why Peter? Why is it that when Jesus comes down off the cross and is put into a tomb and is risen from the tomb, why is it that one of the first people that he wants to see and some would actually argue the first why is it that some of the one of the people that is first on his list is peter because peter's the one who denied him so i want you to think about this for a minute you're peter you've denied jesus you literally you've been able to look at him while you denied him you've been able to eyeball to eyeball contact you've been able to understand what you did this is somebody who you walked with for three years this is somebody who you were part of his inner circle there's peter james and john there's you know you were as close to jesus as you could physically get no there are actually other people who wanted to be closer but weren't allowed to be closer you met with him on the mount of transfiguration you've done all of these really cool unique things with him that nobody else got to do and then you denied him at the, at the crux of the most important part where he needed people to stand with him, you bailed on him. Now, how do you feel? The guilt has to be overwhelming, right? And yet, one of the first people that Jesus comes to after the resurrection is Peter. Why? Because here's the thing, and this is what I want you to catch. Because Jesus wants Peter to understand one thing, very importantly. That the resurrection takes a dramatic impact on how he views your past. That the resurrection changes stuff, Peter. 
I don't have to let, let your past hang on and be an issue between you and me. I'm, I, Peter, I can still use you in spite of your past and denying me. And by the way, Peter gets a message. You know how I know? Jesus is on the earth for 40 days. 40 days later, we have Pentecost. Guess who the preacher is at Pentecost? Guess who the one who's standing up telling all about Jesus at Pentecost? Peter. So Peter had gone from, I don't know you, literally, when you understand the language, cussing him, cussing Jesus, to a little girl, because he was intimidated by her asking a question, to standing up in front of everyone and saying, let me tell you about Jesus. Now how do you go from that to that? and the power of the resurrection to change your life. Now listen to me. One of the first things that the resurrection does is it deals with our past. And it gives us hope for a future. I can't stress how important this is because you know what? I see so many people that get hung up on what happened in the past. And they get stuck. They go through a difficult time. They have something happen. It's a crisis. They make a whole bunch of bad decisions. I've watched alcoholics get so wrapped up in the alcoholism thing and make a whole bunch of bad decisions and ruin a whole bunch of things with their life. And you know what? They can never, ever get past it in their, in their minds. And what a waste because the resurrection gives them the, the ability to go forward, not to get stuck in the past. I watch people who've made bad decisions <clears throat> financially. And they have all of a sudden let that thing become their, the, their entity of who they are and everything else. And I can never do anything right and I can never do it. I watch people who go through divorce do this. And they feel like I, I'm a failure or whatever else. And, 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 and here's what bothers me. They allow their past to become their present and determine their future. I watch kids who make mistakes and who make a bunch of dumb mistakes. And they get so hung up over their past, they can never get past it. And it becomes their present as well as their future. And you have to understand, the resurrection says, you know what? Your past doesn't matter. You can overcome it and you can become a new creation. You can handle it differently. I watch Christian people who make, who make bad decisions. There's not, look, we all make bad decisions. It's what do you do when you make the bad decision that's important. And what Satan does is he's going to continually throw that up against you constantly, over and over and over and over and over again. But it's going to be the resurrection power. It's going to be the resurrection where you go back to and say, no, 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 wait a minute, Jesus. You came out of tomb to do it differently. I don't have to live tied to my past. And I want to challenge you because I see so many people get stuck here. And they spin their wheels and they get stuck because they get so hung up on their past and they have this mentality, God can't use me. The New Testament, most of your New Testament is written by a guy by the name of Paul. Paul's first name was Saul. Saul's job, we know from the beginning, in the book of Acts was, he went around persecuting Christians. In other words, Saul's the guy who would walk in and he would say, hey, how many Christians we got here? And you go, me? And they'd say, You? You and you, let's go stone them. Little kids would watch their moms and dads hauled out of homes. And Saul is the one standing there 
saying, stone them. They called themselves Christian. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Later, Saul becomes a Christian. And Saul, now named Paul, is going to walk back into the very cities that he stoned people for being a Christian. And he's going to look eyeball to eyeball with people in those congregations that he had their parents or their relatives killed. How are you going to handle that if you are Paul? You know how Paul handled it? He tells us in the book of Philippians, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before, I press toward the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to get stuck on my past. I'm going to understand that God has done something and done something incredible, and I am going to trust him and go forward. And that is so important for you to understand about the resurrection. Second idea is this. It helps us as we understand our present. We know that when Jesus was here, there are seven I am statements that Jesus made. One of them is, I am the bread of life. Okay? This was illustrated to me this week, and I, I, a bizarre thing. Just hang on, trust me, listen to the story, and then I'll make the application. But one of the things that Jesus says is, he comes to say, I'm, I'm not, I am come not that you just might have life, but that you might have life abundantly. One of the things that Jesus does <laughs> is he comes to give us a new way to look at life, a new way to handle life. So we don't have to get handle it like everybody else that we rub shoulders with all week long handle, handles it. We can handle it differently. Um, and one of the things that he says is, I am the bread of life. Um, it's interesting, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, uh, which means house of bread. There's this really unique theme that runs through the life of Jesus on the whole bread thing. Um, you can even trace it all the way down to the crucifixion. But I'll back it up. Um, this week, like I say, Gina and I took off, um, and so... Thursday, we were up at Mayo, and Thursday night, I signed us up for a painting class. We did it. It was awesome. Okay, my, I think my painting looks better than hers, but that's okay. <laughs> um, we did. We, it was fun. It was fun. You go, you, really? You guys, my wife and I, we, you know, I tried to get her to do the pottery class. I want to do a pottery class, you know, where you sit and you, like, do the mud thing, you know, and all of that. By the way, Groupon is a great way to do this stuff because you can get it, like, half price. So, anyway, so I said, hey, honey, there's a pottery class on Friday night in Minneapolis we could take. And she looked at me and she goes, okay, let's get this straight. I ain't Demi Moore and you ain't Patrick Swayze, so <laughs> that's out. Um, so, you know, kids are going, what? You'll get it. Uh, anyway, so I couldn't talk her into that. I still think that would be awesome. But, anyway, I couldn't talk her into that. But we did the painting thing. So, and then on Friday, we went to Stillwater, Minnesota. I don't know if you've ever been to Stillwater, Minnesota. Stillwater, Minnesota is this little bitty town that's like way back in the old ages. I mean, it just, it was kind of one of those things that they set it up and, and it kind of hasn't changed. So a lot of antique shops, a lot of, the, so we're, we, we and, and you got to understand, and, and Alex is learning this, but when we're on vacation, I'm like ice cream. I, you can't go a day on vacation without ice cream. And if you can go like, and have like ice cream three times in the day, it's even a better vacation. But um, well, anyway, so we're going along, and I passed it, and I was like, ice cream. I'm going to go get ice cream. So we go, I get ice cream, and then we're just walking up and down this thing, going in all these little shops. They have this shop that sells nothing but olive oil and balsamic vinegar. That's all it sells. I mean, nothing else. It's not like it's like all these, it's like, a little store, and there's just one whole row. I didn't know there were so many different kinds of, of oil or balsamic vinegar. And so we walk in there with ice cream cones, okay? And we're like, she's like, oh, try it. And we're like, we're eating ice cream. 
She goes, oh, no, no, try it on ice cream. And I'm going, I'm a purist. You don't mess with ice cream. Okay? You don't, you don't add anything questionable to ice cream. But my wife, who normally is not the adventurer, goes, okay, I'll try this. And they told her which, I don't know, what was it, balsamic vinegar? It was a lemon something or a, I don't know. Anyways, it's some bizarre thing. So, and she goes, oh, this is pretty good. Here, try No, no, I know. No, 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 no. But here's the thing. What they do in this place is, and this is like a big thing, and I've done this before, but you have dipping sauces and you take bread and you dip it in this stuff and you eat it. And, and it has all these different flavors. So there's like, you know, this rosemary and, and, and I don't know, shirazza. I, I don't know. There's just all these different flavors. Like I say, I mean, it's a whole store of nothing but this. But here's the idea. It's bread. It's just bread. They got little clumps of bread that you dip in this and taste all this stuff with. And it changes the bread completely. It's just bread. To me, it's a great analogy of what Jesus does in our lives. You see, we don't make a big deal of bread because we go home and we have like 100 options for what to have for lunch or supper. But in this culture, bread, you didn't go a day without bread. Bread was a staple. You needed bread every day in order to live. Bread, and in most cases, wine because the water was bad. So you had bread at every meal. Every meal involved bread. Bread was just the standard for everything these people did. And it was probably, it was like a matzo bread, which is kind of a flatbread thing. And that's all they did. That's all they had. That was, for many people, that was breakfast, lunch, and supper. Involved bread. When Jesus says, I am come that you might have life, as the bread of life, and life more abundantly, here's what I think it kind of application here. It's kind of like going into that store. See, everybody in here, everybody that you're going to rub shoulders with this week, they have this level of life. As a Christian, the resurrection allows me to have this level of life. It allows me to have a life that is abundant and full and flavorful and unique and different and special, and spectacular. It doesn't have to be at this level. That's why when you go into work, you know, I love what Dave said this morning. You know, they looked at me and said, what do you know? Well, here's what I know. Here's what I know. Why? Because it gives, it gives you an opportunity to be able to go, you know what? So everybody else is complaining about the, the boss. Everybody else is complaining about the job. Everybody else, I don't have to live at that level. That's the level they have to live at. They don't know any other way. I can come at it at this level with this incredible opportunity to realize that everything that I have is of God, that most of the problems I deal with all day long are first world problems. I will never, ever have to deal with a third world problem of will, do, will I have clothes to put on tomorrow? Will I have a roof over my head? Will I have clean water? Will I have a, a meal in front of me? And to be able to look at life and go, I can live it at this level, not down here. Why? Because the resurrection says, I'm changing everything. I'm changing it all. You don't have to live like everybody else anymore. You can live for a whole different meaning at a whole different level for a whole different purpose. And the other thing is, and I think this is probably the thing that we think of more often than not, 
is the resurrection completely changes my future. As a believer, I understand that when Jesus, you need to understand that when Jesus walked out of that tomb, you know what he was saying? That's not the end. I mean, everybody else looking at the cross thought it was over. They take this body, they wrap it up, they put it in a tomb, they seal it. It's over, it's done. It's finished. Even the disciples have kind of given up and gone, well, okay, I guess it was a nice run for three years. But when he comes out of that tomb, this is the whole bruise the head of Satan thing. He looks at Satan and says, you don't win. Death is not the final straw. I conquered death. The New Testament talks about this as what we call the first fruits. It is a resurrection. He was the first fruit of what was to come. Um, you guys know that term already. You know, just don't, we don't use it in that term. But, and, and, and those of you that have a garden, you know how you always watch for the first fruit that comes out? You know, came home yesterday, checked out my garden. My yellow pear tomatoes have not, I've got one on the bottom. I can tell you where it is right now. It's not quite yellow enough to pick yet. It's the first fruit. You know why you enjoy the first one so much? Because you know that once that first one comes, there's a whole bunch more to come. You know that first tomato? I haven't had mine yet. Greg has. He cheats. Um, you know, and I always give him a hard time because, you know, he plants them in his greenhouse in January. So, you know, come June, you know, he's eating fresh red tomatoes, you know. And, 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 and he, fortunately, he shared them, brought them potluck. And if you missed out, you missed out. Uh, but... Uh, you know, you know that first one, you know, it's, it, you look forward to it and you anticipate it so much and it's like, wow. You know what they did in the Old Testament? You know what the concept was in the Old Testament? This is crazy now. You know what they did with the first fruits? They gave them away. They actually had a festival of first fruits where they would give the first thing away. Now, in their case, they would give it to the temple. But here was the idea. It was an issue of faith. And that what they were saying is, we're going to take the best, the first, the first part of it, we're going to give it away because we're going to trust God that he's going to give and take care of the rest of it for the rest of the harvest for us. You know, we do it just the opposite, you know. You think about it for a minute, okay? I got news for you. I mean, I would love to tell you that I'm a wonderful Christian who freely shares my garden with you, but I got news for you. You ain't getting my first, cu- first cucumbers. And you know how I know that? Because I picked some yesterday and they're at home because I didn't bring them here to share with you. Because um, I wanted my first. That's how we think. You know, we, that's how we think. We're like, okay, I'm going to eat my cucumbers until they're all done, and I'm tired of them, then, I'll, then you guys can have them. You know, that's the way we think. In their culture, it was much, much different. It was the idea of, I'm going to give the first away, trusting God for the rest of them. And that's the whole concept behind giving. That's the whole concept behind all of that, is the idea of, 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 of putting God first and then kind of trusting later. We kind of get that backwards in our culture. But that, that was the idea. The idea was that, that the first fruits, and, and when the Bible talks about Jesus' resurrection being a first fruit, here's what he's saying. <clears throat> I'm the first one to conquer death forever. Now, Lazarus conquered death, but then Lazarus died again. You know, there are other people who have been risen. We have illustrations in the Old Testament, but they died again. Jesus is the first one to conquer death for good to never die again. And he comes out of the tomb, and he basically is saying this. This is what's going to be like for everybody else who believes in me. Death, no fear. 
Death doesn't win. In fact, over and over again in the Bible, you know what? You know how the Bible refers to death for a believer? Sleep. How many of you last night went to bed going, oh, I'm afraid to sleep, I'm afraid to sleep, I'm afraid to sleep. I just don't know if I can sleep. I just don't, I'm so afraid to sleep. I don't want to go to sleep because, you know, I mean, no, most of you are like me. It's like I can't wait to get to bed. My own bed, my own pillow, my room, my world, you know. Um, you know, we look forward to it. And why do we look forward to it? Because we know that in the morning we're going to get up, we're going to be refreshed, we're going to be ready to go. That's the concept, okay? Um, those of you with a CPAP know that. Uh, but, I mean, it's that kind of thing where you wake up refreshed and all ready to go, and, and it's not something you fear. That's what death is for the believer. It's like going to bed at night in this world and waking up tomorrow in a much better world. It's what it is. Do I, you know, I've heard, my, I've heard Doug say it over and over again. That's not the part that bothers me. You know, in fact, Doug's testimony goes like this. I, it's a win-win for me either way. If I get healed and we can deal with this and live with this, I win. But if this takes my life, I win too. His concern, like any of us, would be for his family that he leaves behind. It's not about the death part of it. That, that, that's a given. That's like a, that's not a big deal. And believe me, I've dealt with people who it is a big deal. And they live with the fear of it. And it becomes all consuming. But the resurrection gives me a deal which says, you know what? I don't have to fear the future. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear what the future holds. Because I know, and here's the point, as a believer, the worst day you ever have on this planet is the worst it will ever be for you for all of eternity. It's the worst you will ever experience. For those who are unbelievers, who will not put their faith and trust in Christ, who reject God, let me tell you something. The best day that you have is as good as it's ever going to get for all of eternity. Because when you leave this world, it's only going to get worse. When I leave this world, it only gets better every day. And to have that kind of assurance... And to know that when I see a doctor and it's a bad report or, or, or I go to a funeral home and I can look at, you know, I, 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 can, I can go to the funeral of my dad and know that it's not goodbye, it's simply good night, I love you, I'll see you again. To have that kind of confidence and that kind of hope and that kind of assurance, that's because of the resurrection. And I want you to understand that this morning. Because some of you, you, you've allowed your past to get you just got you stuck. You can't get past it. Look, God wants to use you, and He will, but you got to let Him. And for some of you in the present, honestly, look, your attitude this week is boy, you know, God help me get through the week. Really? You really think Jesus came out of the tomb so that could be your prayer? Get me through the week? He came out of the tomb so that you could have life and life abundantly, you know. You know, I mean, honestly, he came out to give you a whole different way to live this week. Live it. Live it. Realize how grateful you ought to be for all the stuff you got. Realize how, how most of the problems you're going to deal with all week long are first world problems. 
Do you know how long I had to wait in the doctor's office? Wow. Kids, it was horrible. The Wi-Fi was down for like three hours. I couldn't get cell phone reception. I didn't know what to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or, or the, the issue of, you know, you know how expensive my medical care is? You know what that pill costs? Come on. There are places that they give anything to wait days in line to see a doctor. Or to even have a pill to take. Come on. And we're going to live with God help me get through this week. None of us in here has ever prayed, God, help me to find food today. Lord, help me find a dry place to sleep tonight. Come on. We are living the life. And we're so whiny about it sometimes, we don't realize what we've got. And we just need to be appreciative and realize, you know, we don't need to live at this level. We can live at this level. Because the bread of life gave us life for us. And for those of you who are struggling with the future and all that, look, the resurrection gives you hope that there's coming a day when it will all be better. It might be on this side of the grave, but it will be on the other side of the grave. Because this is the hardest it will ever be for us who are believers. And there's incredible confidence and assurance in that. So my prayer for you this week goes something like this. To wrap it up, I've got to find it. We're challenged to make sure that we have a relationship with the resurrected Christ. But we're also reminded that the resurrection forgives our past, gives us life abundantly now, and to hope for the future. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, you have been so good to us, and we have so much. Lord, help us to, first of all, not get stuck on the mistakes, the sins, the choices that we've made in the past, but to realize, Lord, that you can take someone like Peter and look past their sin, and you can use them in a great way, and Lord, you can do the same thing for everyone sitting here this morning. Lord, don't allow Satan to win that battle in getting them to think that you can't use them. Lord, for all of us, may we live life differently this week. May we not get caught up in the, the level of, of life that everyone around us lives, of griping and complaining and whining, but may we appreciate and value that which we have been given. May we have an abundant life this week, and Lord, we all, we all look forward to the day that we gather together around your throne, as brothers and sisters in Christ, for all of eternity, God, worshiping and thanking you and living life at a level none of us could even comprehend. Lord, use us this week. And may we, be, may we honor you with our lives and all that we say and do these things we ask in your name. Amen.